So, I have two games that I want to get to. Having to sit through this movie and deal with two hours of this. It was a long one. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was a long and painful experience. So, let's... let's they, they know what movie should we, we watched. Should we, should we start the episode? I mean... Yeah, I think so. That's prob- probably okay. the right yeah. way to go about this. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually how we do it. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler, I'm horny, baby. <laughs> oh, God. I see. Okay. <laughs> um, so obviously the- we watched um, Horns. <laughs> Yes, 23 Horns parentheses 2013, uh, starring some uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Who <clears throat> I, Danny Rads. Yeah, I think I, I, I really I know he was in that Broadway production of Equus. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then he did How to Succeed in Business, which I think he maybe probably should have won a Tony for, but didn't. Uh, and like a couple of other stage productions and then like a bunch of weird indie movies and like other than that i don't know that i've seen him in anything hey do you think tony's short for toenail um <laughs> you know, you've completely <laughs> disarmed me with that <laughs> like i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> no i mean like i mean like but also no it's short for antoinette <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> like what, what, what? <laughs> I don't. I I have no excuse for that. It's it just <laughs> it it throws <laughs> like what do you. <laughs> That's like, that's like an improv anvil. <laughs> oh, here, let me place this anvil on you. You now have to improvise against toenail. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I, I have no explanation or excuse. That's just, that's just what happened in my brain parts. <laughs> You know, <laughs> not all of them are home runs. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you bunt into a double play. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, but yeah, like I don't think that uh, Daniel Radcliffe has been in anything else. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it was kind of cool to see him in something. Um, how would you describe this movie in, let's say, six words? Six words. Okay. Um, okay. Wait. Um, I think I can do this. All right, I got it. Are you ready? Yeah. Guy goes totally goblin mode. Whoa. (laughs) Okay, my six word review of this movie is... Less goth version of The Crow. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen The Crow. 
Oh my god. Okay, that one's one that I'm not going to suggest we do for the podcast. Because it's one that you, like, really very genuinely have to see. Okay. Um, with the caveat that uh, Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, did die while they were filming the movie. Oh, that's, that's, what, that's that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it carries this really deeply sad air through it that kind of enhances the everything the movie has to say about death because that's what the movie's effectively about i mean aren't all movies when you really get down to it um okay so let's go through the movies we've watched on sound theories the man from earth uh technically about death because the guy can't die uh ad astra technically about death because he leaves those monkeys to die in space uh-huh um flop draw movie also about death yeah a lot of death in that one yeah i think those are all the movies we've watched they're all that's that's all like uh oh mikey and mikey also about death also about death yeah um Um, the lorax also about death um munchies that's that's death death baby uh, let's see what other one. Uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Obviously, that one's got that, a ton of death. Yeah. Um, Jim Carrey as the mask straight up murders people. The Emoji Movie. There is like a like a skull, skull emoji. emoji. Yeah, so. that's death. Okay, so here I, I'm looking through our episode list actually because you know I like to do things like that. Um, so movies that Kira has picked: Hardcore Henry, this one. <laughs> Uh, what are they? I, <clears throat> Attack of the pi- Super Monsters. Was that a you movie? That was that was me. Um, <clears throat> Life Force. I want to say though, I think um, going back and looking at this, I think if you did a hardcore Henry version of The Mask, I might enjoy that movie. Oh, can you imagine though? When he does his little spinny transform thing, the motion a first sickness. person of that, yeah, no, <laughs> we can't. I mean, like it's basically just first person Tasmanian devil, but with the <sighs> problems of not having the ability to move your eyes independently from the rest of your head. <laughs> oh no, I don't need that in my life. Oh God! Okay. Should we uh, talk about the movie we watched today? Eh, if you've seen The Crow, you've seen this movie. Somehow, despite the fact that this movie has Danny Radcliffe turn into literal like biblical Satan, it's still not as goth as The Crow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I didn't get very goth vibes from it. It was more like, um, uh, just sort of struggle vibes. Yeah, so, um, in Cat's Car Corner, uh, he is driving an AMC Gremlin, which is one of my (laughs) all-time favorite cars. I fucking love that car, and I'm so sad they destroyed it. Yeah, that, that is, that is sad. You know what, you know what made me very annoyed about this movie? What? And this may not be something that is textual in the movie, so um, we'll see when we find out what is actually what it's actually about. Um, but based on a couple of reviews I read, this movie is set in Seattle. 
I mean, it definitely was set in Washington. It's certainly in Washington, yes. That ain't Seattle, baby. No, that's, it's not. That's so not Seattle. Like, I can forgive the Supernatural episode where they went to Spokane and it was like a three-building town because fuck Spokane, that place sucks ass even if it is the third biggest city in Washington. And um, I, yeah, You know, I, I think that one might have been a bit of a joke just because like they're, they're literally filming in Vancouver. Like... <clears throat> They're not that far from Spokane. I think it was probably just a meme. I, I I hope so. It was funny. I'm fine with that one. You This thing, like, they obviously filmed it in, like, fucking Forks or something. Is that a place in Washington? It's a place in Washington. It's the, it's the Twilight City. That that's the, that's the town that Twilight takes place in. Gotcha. And it is a real city in Washington. And I've been I, there, and they it's... sell Twilight firewood. So you, you should understand something very particular about me and it's that i have never actually engaged with twilight neither have i the only thing i know about you have because you live in washington and they make you and you're like forced to understand twilight as a result okay forks is like a three hour drive from me over in the rainforest in the middle of goddamn nowhere i passed through it on the way to get to a camping site Oh, yeah, that is in the middle of fucking nowhere, huh? Yeah. That place is like a three-building town. It's also shockingly close to Victoria in BC. I've... So I've been going through a job hunt, and I keep getting jobs that, like, are asking me to move out to, like, fucking Abbotsford or, like, Surrey, and I'm like, I I don't want to go to BC as much as it would be nice to, like be in one time zone for yeah, recording it would, it would certainly make some things easier i just i you know we just settled down here in toronto and i'm not particularly interested in moving all the way across the country after moving to a new country last year yeah that's fair i can't blame you there it, someday maybe but you know right now we're sticking with southern ontario that is fair. Hey, you're really close to, uh, or at least relatively close to, uh, um, forget what I was talking about. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, no, it's filmed in, uh, what I would call buttfuck Washington. Oh, it's, it's definitely over in the rainforest on the peninsula, which is an absolutely gorgeous area. Right. It, it's beautiful until you need to live there year-round and your job choices are whatever they have in a rainforest. Yeah, you've got, like, person who sells twilight firewood at Forks and person who works at the twilight-themed motel in Forks. Uh, Person who who undoubtedly works at the twilight-themed restaurant in Forks person who works at the Safeway in Forks and is absolutely fucking sick of people coming to the town. Oh, uh, small town cop. Small town cop and, uh, lesbian lumberjack. Uh, Lumberjane. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of which, everyone should read Lumberjanes. Good comic. Excellent comic. Uh, Wild Boar Hunter. Wild Boar Hunter Hunter. Yeah, um, and... I think that's it. I think you might have skipped one. 
Bigfoot. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, that that's not a position that opens up very often. No. I, I mean, you know, there's occasionally they're hiring multiple, but it's, yeah, it's predominantly, <clears throat> like, you know, single-person hiring situations, and then you've got to yeah, compete like, with all the other big feet. And Yeah, realistically, that's not a job, like, a career you can really, like, aim towards. It's something that might be nice but like yeah and you like you can't base your life around planning for that and the the big footing field is just full of nepo babies yeah it's hard to break in yeah i mean you've got like the like 15th generation like so much money they can pay to have their kids feet extended and stuff like that it's 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 kind of an ugly scene yeah you know, as much as I would love to get into big footing, it's just, it's one of those things where luck's just not on my side, you know? Yeah. And then, like, there's also the gender bias factor of it, too. Like, yeah. you know, they tend to only hire male Bigfoots, and it's just, you know, you have to, someone's going to break that first ceiling, and it's just not going to be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so, so horns. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think the movie was called Horns because his brother plays the trumpet? Yeah. Um, it was actually a movie about a ska band. <laughs> I need to make. Okay, that needs to be. Um, somebody needs to make a movie called Horns about a ska band, also starring Daniel Radcliffe. That would be funny. That would be very funny. <laughs> he would do it, wouldn't he? He would. Yes. Uh, that's the thing about Daniel Radcliffe is like you know, he has always been a like independent movie enjoyer, someone who likes a silly premise and is willing to go along with it. Like mm-hmm. you know, that's that's how he defines his career. You know never once really taking like the big i guess the closest thing he's ever done to a real like blockbuster movie would be uh now you see me too the movie that the writers the director the producers all wanted to call now you see me too colon now you don't but we're told (laughs) by the studio that saying don't in the title of a movie is too negative and they can't do it absolute cowards it's it's one of those I can't believe the studios have done this moments, and yeah. at the same time I absolutely can, uh, which is why we unequivocally support the writers' strike. Yes, I mean we also support any labor action usually. Yeah, that's just a given for this show. I think. Oh yeah, but, for sure. Just sort uh, of a particularly yeah. relevant right now is the writers' strike. Yeah, and like. That's why this episode sucks so much. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if we just had better... Wait, so are we working through the strike? As... <laughs> this is a non-union show. <laughs> I what am have... I, who, who am I kidding? <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, are you setting us up as scabs? Because we're not scabbing on our own show. We don't make any <laughs> money off of this. <laughs> um... Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, 
It's it, yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> we, we really should talk about the movie. Yeah, so um basically the movie starts with um us being introduced to our two lead characters. Um I called the lead guy Billy on account of his goat horns. Oh, that makes so much sense. And I called his dead girlfriend Shelly because she's sort of a empty shell for the men to project onto. Okay, yeah. That makes I'm with you. So uh, we get introduced to these two, and then it turns out that Shelley is dead. Yes. So, like, through the entire movie, at no point is she alive. Mm, yeah. Yep. It's all in, the only times we really see her flashbacks and memories. Exactly. So, like, she's fridged before the movie starts. Yeah. She comes pre frozen. Uh, then we get this shot on the camera that is attempting and i say attempting to be very artsy about it where there's like a full camera spin basically to sort of illustrate that billy is waking up from having passed out drunk on the floor mm-hmm. i will note that um as this shot started happening my uh the music i was listening to uh had the uh, had a guy screaming wake up <laughs> so right off the bat strong start for that album sync that does sound like a very strong start i did not do an album sync this time because i just put on um i put on emerging canadian pop and it was a lot of like dream pop type stuff it was pretty good uh, you know youtube music generally recommend some pretty solid Canadian artist playlists that I'm a fan of. That's good. Um, and, and and then weirdly it shifted after it finished that playlist and started playing Orville Peck, which I will not complain about ever, <laughs> but not Canadian as far as I'm aware. You never know. It's really impossible to be certain. He's South African, apparently. That's basically Canada. Mm, not really i mean it's even a little (laughs) yeah ah ah wait according to wikipedia his origin is canada there you go um yeah apparently like he canada south africa (laughs) sure he assumed the pseudonym orville peck and produced his debut album in canada Writing and play, writing all the music, producing everything, and playing every instrument that he could while working in a coffee shop. That's ridiculous. Um, and then he got his big break by being on CBC Radio and won nice. a Juno. <clears throat> Love that. So yeah, I guess he technically okay. You know, we'll Canadian. we'll give him we'll give him South Africa, Canada, same difference in this case. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's a lot of good music on that playlist, though. Um, good. So, yeah. Uh, basically, the gist of the movie is his girlfriend is dead. Everyone thinks he does it. Yep. Or everyone thinks he did it. Um, yep. His parents are extremely weird to him. His brother is extremely weird to him. I, I think they think they also think he did it. Right. But they're not going to, like, accuse him until they have something more concrete to throw at him basically is yeah like, we think you might have done it but like you're also part of the family and we'll 
support you until we have proof that you did or didn't do it. Yeah. Um, um. So I originally had thought that maybe my read on this being a hipster the crow was incorrect. And that maybe it was actually more of a metaphor for the vilification that he faced by the town that he was turning into this devil creature. I was never completely sure throughout the entire duration of the movie whether or not the horns and everything were literal. Literally there. I'm pretty sure they very literally were. I I think so. Because he goes to the doctor to get them removed. And the doctor is sawing something from his head. Yeah, that's true. So, like, it, there's gotta be something, but whether or not that something is actually there or just like part of his hallucination of himself now here's my thing i think uh we'll we'll get there we'll get there um basically we get a lot of backstory um there's a lot of like flashback scenes of how he met his girlfriend um he does fuck a random girl from town uh at one point and then oh she gets like feral donut girl yeah, she gets, like, weirdly sexual with some donuts in the morning and claims to not remember it, I'm pretty I... sure is a thing that... Okay, I didn't pick up on the not remembering it. I, I did I think very it's part... much... In... So, it, was very, it was a very good scene. It was a good, it was a good fucking scene. Uh, so, I, I think I kind of tapped into something while I was watching. Um, there's basically he's supposed to be the devil right yeah and the devil doesn't force you to do things you know like part of the whole idea about like sin and everything like that is the devil tempts you yeah the devil gives you permission to do the thing you wanted to do the devil like is there to encourage you to transgress by freeing you to engage with the thing you desire the most yeah and he inspires this in people and they like tell him their secrets and act out their like dark fantasies and stuff dark or otherwise a lot of them are pretty violent yeah or like real sexual but it's, yes you, there's you a get, lot like, of sex sexual and violence. ones yeah sex and violence are the big ones um but like the sex ones aren't necessarily always the worst, right? No, I mean like, like at one point he does use his power to get these two cops who have been tailing him to admit that they both love each other and then they start making out. Oh yeah. And probably that- have sex in the cop car. And yeah, like that was heavily implied, yeah. You know, that one seems like it's a net positive. Oh, no, yeah, he did a good thing there, for sure. It's just not always a net positive when you're using your Satan powers. It's not, not always. It seems like it wasn't, it more often than not was weirdly positive, though. Yeah, it also, like, didn't seem like it was intentional on his part. Like, people yeah, just, he like, didn't seem did to it be... around him. There, there's a point where he realized it and started to use it maliciously, I think. Yeah. Which is based on, like, the read that I got from this movie. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 
it seems like predominantly it was accidental deployment of powers rather than intentional deployment of powers. So it's not like he was, you know, being a creep about it. Yeah. Because as we've learned from this movie, if you are a creep, you will get killed by Satan. I mean, you do drugs, you go to hell before you die. Please. <laughs> every time, every time I get someone because nobody remembers the part when he says, <laughs> tell, like, I tell your, your priest, your pastor, your rabbi, your minister, he lists three different ways to talk about priests. And then he says, if you do drugs, you go to hell before you die. Please. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I love that. I fucking love that Captain Lou Albano PSA so much. (laughs) Especially because Lou Albano did so many fucking drugs when he was wrestling. Top tier. Top tier. It's it's just one of those deeply ingrained cultural memes. Um, I I consider it probably on the same level of meme for me as... uh, that guy who was arrested as a serial dine and dasher. Oh yes, <laughs> the succulent Chinese meal guy. Yes, that guy. Uh, have a look at the headlock over here. <laughs> the part where he just screams, "Get your hands off my penis!" every fucking time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Um, what an, so what an absolute avoiding, legend. We've been avoiding talking about this movie. Let's just go through it quickly. Let's, yeah, let's let's blast. Um. <laughs> so he basically it follows a little bit of the crow formula. Um, he gets revenge on the people who have accused him of murdering his girlfriend. He finds out that the reason his girlfriend broke up with him because she broke up with him right before she died. Yeah. Which I think is the reason why he is a chief suspect. Yes. Um, he finds out that the reason she broke up with him is, and this is from lip reading, uh, she was dying already. Interesting. I think according to what I was able to lip read from cancer. Okay. Um, so she broke up with him to save him the heartbreak of watching her die that sure one way to do that yeah so they do a red herring where we think his uh drug addicted brother might have been the person who killed shelly yeah because he like wakes up with a bloody rock in his car after having blacked out from drinking too much mm-hmm but uh yeah, I, I i hadn't at any point suspected him um Just, because he seemed, it it seemed too convenient for them to have <clears throat> introduced. so we we get a flashback that introduces our characters as children. Our yeah lead character Billy, Shelley, Billy's older brother, uh, a another kid who I genuinely couldn't tell A from B with. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I a, like a, a samey looking kid who looked like the kid who played Billy. Basically, all the kids looked exactly the same, and I had no idea which adult they corresponded to. Yeah, that was that was the most challenging part. Um, they definitely don't have the coherent aesthetics of 
something like Yellow Jackets, where you're able to tell who the adults are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we have the group of five. uh, Shelly and Billy, Billy Brother, Billy Lookalike, and their sort of mean, bullyish friend, who I think might be the cop. Okay. That makes Um, sense. Yeah. So we get introduced to them playing with fireworks. And oh yeah, um, one of them blows their fingies off. <clears throat> yep, as kids are wont to do when playing with fireworks. Yeah, like you do. They they also like blow <clears throat> up a bunch of stuff, and then I think one of them dares uh Billy to something, and he ends up like going down. Yeah, a thing ride into like a, wa- he has to ride a shopping cart down a logging slide. Yeah, into a into river. The water. Yeah, yeah, full of logs. Quite, quite honestly, a terrible idea. Awful, awful, truly terrible idea. Yes. Never play around with live logs. <laughs> They're almost <laughs> like I, I know I said that in a funny way, but I do actually mean it. Yeah. Like, there's well, he... a reason why log drivers are so fucking skilled at what they do, and it's because their survivorship bias. <laughs> He, yeah, he almost drowns. He gets, like, trapped under some logs in the water. Um, and then someone, one of the kids saves him. Is it his brother? Okay. Yes, his brother is A, older, and B, blonde. And that's the only reason I could tell. Okay. Um, so yeah, his brother saves him from being trapped under the logs. Uh, and he wins a firework that he then trades that firework to the kid whose hand gets blown up, um, so that the kid whose hand gets blown up will fix a necklace for him so he can give that to Shelly. Yeah. So that he can woo her in the way that preteens do. Uh-huh. And that's where their relationship starts. Yep. He uh, basically, takes her to, like, a, a treehouse. Yes, the treehouse is a recurring set. Where they fuck a lot in the woods. Yeah. Um, and then... Oh, God. Um, we flash forward back to the future. Or the present, rather. Um, he's grown horns by this point. He yes. goes to the doctor to get the horns removed. And then he dreams about himself having sex with Shelly. And wakes up to find the doctor and the nurse having sex. Instead yep. of operating <clears throat> on him. Yep. Um, which is a manifestation of his satanic power. Mm-hmm. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Revenge and suspicion. He forces his brother to OD, which is weird. Yeah, I think at that point he thinks his brother had killed his girlfriend. Yes. And then he realizes, no, he hadn't, that there's other factors at play. Um, finger friend is... I think, I think finger friend is his lawyer at this point. Yes. Now... Uh, probably dealing with some pretty substantial conflict of interest in this case and should be disbarred on account of Finger Friend being the actual murderer. Yes, but nobody knows that. Except Finger Friend. Yeah, but he's not gonna... No, because he's literally going to do a piss-poor job at defending his friend so that his friend will go to jail instead of him. Because he's not a good dude. No. Uh, so the horns keep growing, and the powers keep growing, and 
Um, he gets an army of snakes that follows him around. Yes, he does pick up a pitchfork at one point, which yep. is cool. Yep, he's got he's got snakes and a pitchfork. He uses the snakes to murder someone for some reason. Um, yeah, well, I we should be getting told that when we read the YouTube uh, when we read the uh, Wikipedia summary. I assume I hope. so. I think it's like he thinks that like. She intentionally, like, tried to get them to break up or something like that. Or, like, um, it's possible, uh, given the very extremely Christian worldview espoused by this movie, perhaps it is her punishment for bearing false witness. Mm, Yeah. Because if she's making up stories to make her part in this murder more interesting... That is pretty definitionally bearing True. false witness. True. That makes sense. And this seems like the kind of movie that would punish you for that. Yeah. Is she I mean, she literally works at like Eve's Diner with yes. with an apple as a logo. Yes, I also mentioned that in my notes. Like it's it's um, you know, it it's got it's, fists of ham. It is extremely on the nose about everything it does. Yes. Like no part of this movie is subtle. No. At one point Billy fights against a f- finger friend. Yeah. Um finger and... friend beats the shit out of him with a big chain and sets him on fire. Right, and then Billy drives his car into the water. Yeah. R.I.P. the gremlin. Yeah. <clears throat> um, no, I'm reasonably certain that at this point, Billy is actually dead. Uh, that is possible. Because he, he does come out of the water, like, super burned up. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like, full, like... And then he, like, goes to his girlfriend's dad and his and and he gives him uh, her necklace, and and Billy puts it on, and is suddenly healed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very because it's out a cross there. necklace. Yes, it, it, it's the power of Jesus. Yes. Um, uh, um, so there's sorry when he does emerge from the water in his crispified form, I do have in my notes, um, and this is a Teen Girl Squad quote. Uh, my notes do say, Kristen, you look burnt or dead. <laughs> uh, both, really. Yes. Um, that is truly actually one of my favorite Teen Girl Squad quotes, and fucking nobody remembers it. Because why would you? Hey, Kat. Yeah? I don't know what Teen Girl Squad is. Oh my god. Okay, so Teen Girl Squad is a series of uh, short cartoons that are canonically drawn by strong bad in the home star runner universe okay that explains why um, i don't know what it is yeah i i would have thought that you were of an age where home star runner was a frame of reference that you would have it it was definitely a big thing when i was growing up i just never got into it that's fair uh, Homestar Runner is very foundational. Like, if I had to point to three texts that are foundational to my sense of humor, or, or like, I guess, three bodies of work, it would be um, a series of unfortunate events, 
Homestar Runner and the Marx Brothers. And I have no experience with any of those things. Uh, they're all so good. Like, there's parts of the Marx Brothers that haven't aged, but, like, you know, what are you going to do when you're watching, like, 100-year-old cinema? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but a lot of it is still very funny. Homestar Runner still very funny. They're still making stuff, too. That's wild. It's been so long. Yeah, I mean, like, they're not updating weekly by any stretch, but they are updating, you know, a couple times a year with new cartoons. And in particular, uh, at least one of them has, at least one of them's worked on Gravity Falls and Owl House, among other nice. things. That's pretty cool. So, like, yeah, they, they're doing they're real doing animation it. work and everything like that to, like, pay the bills. That's good. Yeah, it's cool. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, basically, um, after he comes back from being crispified... Yeah. It gets Christified by the necklace that <laughs> has a cross on it. Yeah. Um, and he shows up for revenge. And then at one point, uh, so the cop friend gets his head blown clean off. Yeah. So he like, he like lures his, his finger friend to the tree house on, under some pretense. And then cop shows up and also Billy's brother shows up to confront yes. finger friend. And right, I think because... he, like, admits to killing her or something, and the cop is going to arrest him, and he takes the cop's gun and shoots brother in the knee and the cop in the head. Yeah, and... just clean top of the head removal. Yeah, full gone. Full, um... full, his capo is detated from his head. <laughs> yes. Um, and then he has a, another, like, showdown fight with Billy, and uh, then Billy takes the necklace off and he like grows angel wings that then like burn and he turns into like full devil with like magma skin and huge horns and everything. And yet somehow repulsively unsexy. Oh God. Yeah, no, it's not good to look at. Like, I don't know how they took demon form of you know, Daniel Radcliffe and then turned him into whatever that was. And like, it was just so violently unsexy. <laughs> yeah, no, I hated it. <clears throat> but he does um, kill Fingerfriend in a spectacular manner with like, he like gores him with his horn and then like a snake slithers through the hole in his chest and then like, mm -hmm down his throat and yeah and then he it's dies because he took several shotgun blasts to the chest yes i i, I assume he died just because he burned out because a human soul wasn't meant to carry that much power that's possible too or if you're if we're going with the theory that he was like already dead his his business is finished he can he can move on now right that that's that's the other thing is like in the crow when his revenge is complete he disappears and this movie despite making its very vain attempts to prove it's not is kind of just the crow <laughs> but worse well it's based on a book written by stephen king's son who saw the crow and wrote a book yes apparently um 
that is me stating an opinion and not uh, in any way humorously stating an opinion not in any way slandering or defaming uh this fucking guy but it's probably you know, just happened. to cover the bases but that is probably what happened that's it's yeah. what emotionally feels like what happened yeah for sure that's the movie we did it yeah we did it. we we got there eventually Hello listeners, it's Kat with this week's mid-roll announcements. Are you ready for the next great sports anime sweeping the globe? And I do very literally mean sweeping. If you're craving the drama, camaraderie, and athletic prowess of a show like Haikyuu, but you want to try something where a beloved character doesn't end up being a cop after the time skip, you should head over to the Chicks with Dice feed and listen to the pilot for our new miniseries, Bonspiel. Bonspiel is a curling-themed sports anime that uses the TTRPG tournament arc to weave exciting sports anime narratives. Check out that episode wherever podcasts are sold. If you'd like to interact with Kira and me on social media, you can follow me on Tumblr at zaftycat.tumblr.com and Kira on her Tumblr, sapphire-mess.tumblr.com. If you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can tell someone about the show. We thrive on word of mouth, and our goofy brand of weird is the perfect thing to recommend to your friends, your polycule, your found family, your biological family, or your former child actor who is now the literal devil. You could also be our favorite people in the world and leave a review for the show on the podcatcher of your choice. We're fans of good pods for their really neat shareability features, but whatever you prefer works for us. If you do leave a review, let us know via tweet or Tumblr message, and you'll get a shout-out on the show. Thirdly, we'd be so grateful if you were to support us on Patreon. We make this show because we love it, not because of the money, but a little support from you goes a really long way for us. So please do consider that support. No dollar amount is too small. That's all for the mid-roll. I'll let past me and Kira get back to this extremely horny movie, but not horny in a good way. Cue the VCR sound. Yeah, do you want to tell me what the movie was about? Yeah, so Horns is a 2013 dark fantasy mystery comedy horror. Okay, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of, of words. That's a lot of descriptors there. They sure went for all of them. You were just gonna throw it all at the wall and hope that it sticks to something. <laughs> uh, Ignatius. Ig Parrish is the prime suspect when his girlfriend, Marin Williams, is raped and murdered. Despite his declarations of innocence, he's shunned by the community. He visits his parents and brother Terry to hide from the press. After a vigil led by Marin's father who believes Ig to be guilty, Ig gets drunk, urinates on Marin's memorial, then has a one-night stand with a friend. The next morning, he wakes up with a pair of horns protruding from his head. The horns have special powers that force people to tell Ig their darkest secrets and desires. At Ig's bidding, they act upon them. While seeing his doctor about having the horns removed, Ig, under anesthesia, dreams of his childhood when he first met Marin. A young Ig and his friends play with cherry bombs. Ig risks a dangerous dare to win a cherry bomb and nearly drowns but is saved by Lee Tourneau, his childhood friend who is now a lawyer. He trades the cherry bomb with Lee in exchange for fixing Marin's broken necklace. Lee loses two fingers when the cherry bomb goes off accidentally in his hand. Ig and Marin bond over the fixed necklace and fall in love, frequenting a treehouse in the woods together. Ig visits his parents and, under the horn's powers, his mother reveals that she does not want him as her son and asks him to leave. Jesus. His father tells him he's worthless without Marin, and his 
and that his friends helped him burn down the lab where DNA tests were being conducted. Good God. So this dad burned down the lab to what? To what end? Um, I don't know. Admitting to destruction of evidence, not a great look. No, not typically. As Ig heads to a bar in the parking... Sorry, as Ig heads to a bar in the parking lot, he goads the reporters into a brawl. He tries to find evidence proving that he did not kill Marin from people in the bar. Several people confess their deepest and darkest secrets, and the owner bartender burns down the building to collect the insurance. Oh my god, I almost forgot. This was another uh, instance of incredible music sync. The shot where he's sitting in his car lighting a cigarette and the bar Mm -hmm. is burning in the background. The lyrics at that moment were, The world will burn in my fall from grace. Uh that is good. That is very good. Yes. Um, from one confession, Egg learns that a new witness in the case is a waitress at the diner where Marion broke up with him on the night she died. Egg finds her and discovers she's been fabricating stories to become famous, bearing false witness. There we go. When Egg talks to Terry, he learns that Terry drove Marion from the bar the night she died. Sorry, from the diner the night she died. When he touches Terry, Ig sees what happened that night. Marin left the car en route to her home and ran into the woods. Terry passed out in the car and woke up the next morning with a bloody rock in his hand, finding Marin dead under the treehouse. Afraid he would be implicated, he fled. Infuriated, Ig assaults Terry until he's arrested by Officer Eric Hannity, who is the fifth childhood friend. Okay. The next morning, Ig is released from jail with Lee's help. Ig notices Lee wearing Marin's cross necklace and questions him about it. Lee insists there are things about him and Marin that Ig never knew. Later that night, Ig realizes snakes are following him wherever he goes, and he uses them to extract vengeance against the waitress. Additionally, he gets Eric to act on his feelings for his police partner, who reciprocates, and forces Terry to overdose on drugs, causing Terry to be tormented by memories of Marin's death. Ig meets Lee by the docks and pulls off Marin's necklace. He realizes Lee was unable to see the horns because he was wearing the necklace. Exposed to the horns, Lee falls under their influence and admits to killing Marin. In flashbacks, Lee was also in love with Marin and was deeply jealous of Ig throughout their childhood. Lee followed Marin into the woods thinking Marin had been sending him signals for a long time and that she had broken up with Ig to be with him. Yikes. When Marin insisted that she loved Ig more than anyone in the world, Lee sexually assaults her in a jealous rage and then kills her with a rock steals her necklace and plants the rock on terry in the ensuing confrontation lee overpowers ig and lights him on fire in his car causing ig to drive into the bay lee claims that ig confessed to the crime and committed suicide the horns allow ig to survive although very badly burned and disfigured laughed the boy um that's a I'll be the racist dragon reference. Uh, okay. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with that nope. Flight of the Concord song. Nope. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Marin's father, who does now believe Ig is innocent, gives him the keys to Marin's lockbox. When Ig puts on Marin's cross, his body is restored and the horns disappear. In the lockbox, he finds a note explaining a note from Marin explaining that she knew Ig was going to propose, but she was dying of cancer and did not want him to suffer, so she pushed him away under the pretense of loving someone else. Real stupid idea. That's so... What? He's still gonna, 
like, be around while she's dying. He's just also going to be sad about her dumping him. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Ig, Ig confronts Lee and leads him t- into the woods where Marin was killed. Eric and Terry arrive to arrest Lee. Lee confesses to the murder, but then gleefully kills Eric and injures Terry. Ig tears off the necklace, spurring a pair of wings and bursting into flame, transforming into a demonic monster. Despite Lee fatally wounding him, Ig impales Lee on his one of his horns, then telepathically forces a snake down Lee's throat, killing him. Saying that his vengeance was all-consuming, Ig dies from his injuries, and his smoldering, his smoldering corpse turns into hardened ash. He appears to be reunited with Merrin in the afterlife. The end. That... yep. Okay, so, principal photography took place in Vancouver, Mission, Surrey, and Squamish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was <clears throat> all Pacific Northwest, but as it turns out... Canadian. BC. That'll happen. Because it's always going to be BC. Yep. <clears throat> no, nobody films Seattle in Seattle. No. Very... There's a lot of times where they're filming things in vancouver and then they just don't bother covering up very canadian specific logos yeah like a scotiabank logo exists on caprica in battlestar galactica so canonically scotiabank exists in the battlestar galactica universe oh my god it's a little it's a little silly yeah um so, yeah, this was also a TIFF movie. We seem to be getting a lot of TIFF movies. I mean... And a lot of them are stinkers, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Yeah. That's not intentional. No, but, like, I mean... I, like, I had well, heard this movie was good. You know, um, I ask you to check with the person you heard it from. <laughs> I mean, it's got sixty nine nice percent of the review reviews on Amazon are uh, five stars. Forty two percent of critics gave the film a positive review, according to Rotten Tomatoes, with an average rating of five point four out of ten. <sighs> Should have uh, checked that. So the problem is that this movie was directed by a guy who primarily does horror. Yep, he did Piranha and, 3D. I mean, he also did The Hills Have Eyes 2006, uh, which is the remake of the 1977 Wes Craven movie. Um, so, he, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say he's done good horror movies. <laughs> if you're just riffing on West Wes Craven, like, yeah, do something new. Do something interesting. Don't you do mean, horns. You mean, like, Piranha 3D? That's a that's a Piranha 3D is the third movie in the Piranha franchise. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, I don't know what else he's made. It's oh, Piranha 3D has Elizabeth Shue in it. Oh. And Adam Scott and Paul Shear. I'm getting a little bit of a this guy wants to do comedy but can't kind of a vibe. Uh <clears throat> I I mean that this was a a dark comedy apparently. I'm not sure where the comedy was supposed to be. I mean, like, okay, so, like, dark comedies can range, right? They can be, like, objectively funny, where, like, you do have laughs, but you feel guilty about the laughs. Uh Uh-huh. 
And then they can be, we called it a dark comedy or a black comedy for one reason or another, possibly the absurdity of the scenario. But like, Inside Lewin Davis is technically a black comedy or a dark comedy, whichever term you want to use for it. That movie fucking sucks. It's so depressing. <laughs> like, nothing good ever happens to Lewin, and it is just beat after beat after beat after beat with no catharsis to it. Yeah. Because I don't get why we're supposed to hate him. And, like, part of what makes uh, something like the dark comedy of Succession good is because the characters are so easy to hate. So when bad things happen to them, it's kind of funny and it's kind of cathartic. But, like, you know, Lewin's a little bit of a fuck-up, but, like, that doesn't mean he deserves to have all of these really awful things happen to him. You know? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the right audience for Coen Brothers movies. Maybe not. I don't know. So anyway, do you want to hit us with some Amazon reviews so we can get out of here? This is a fucking gold mine. We're going to start off with a one-star review from Amazon Makes It Right, titled Worst Movie Out of Hundreds That I Have Seen. And it reads, This is the worst movie I have ever seen. I am a movie lover and middle-aged, so I have seen plenty. Daniel Radcliffe was horrifyingly awful. I would give it a negative 10 stars if I could. The music was distracting. The plot was not substantive. The theme was not believable for any genre. I don't know who wrote the positive reviews, but now that I have seen this movie, I think Radcliffe relatives must have. Or possibly his mother. I only watched it in entirety because I thought it had to get better or there was a kicker somewhere and the end where the wings catch on fire was cartoonish. Indeed, the whole movie would have been better served to a bunch of heroin addicts who don't know any better. I feel like even heroin addicts have... Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't get the disparaging their movie tastes. Like, Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. You know, like, there's plenty of reasons to take heroin there's no reason to watch this movie (laughs) uh (laughs) robert tuccio gives us one star and uh titles the review do not waste money on this movie and it reads this was an exceptionally juvenile movie that had great potential for the first 10 minutes and then it went downhill quickly Unidimensional characters, flat script, amateur CGI. The only good thing was the religious symbol that was as powerful as they are in real life. That was the comedic part of the movie. Avoid this disaster and go get yourself a drink. Water will do and you will enjoy it more. You know, like... Hmm. <clears throat> you know, religious symbols are powerful in real life. Totally. Definitely, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll definitely unburn you. Oh my god, the original book for this is 370 fucking pages. Dear god, that sounds insufferable. <laughs> and, and like, I, you know, I read, I regularly read fucking tomes. Yeah. <clears throat> like, my favorite book that I've read in the last two years, 1,200 pages. Mm-hmm. Cool, casual, 12 hundies. Just, just, uh, easy. Um... I could read this probably in an evening. But would you want to? Uh, hmm. Yes. Okay. Vicky Wells gives this one star. (laughs) And titles it, 
Destructive evil visualized, not worth your time, life-sucking. And it reads, This movie is nothing but symbolism that pushes a very evil message and tries to subliminally steer thought and energy of the observer. Yuck! A complete waste of time for an individual, as well as very destructive to any individual person in every way possible. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those ones that... Like, there are these movies that very frequently riff on what is clearly the author's or the writer or the director's personal experience with Christianity and the way that faith operates in the United States. And while it may be affectionate satire from their perspective, there is a certain part of the United States and Canada where no affection it parody is permissible of their fate it's yeah yeah it's one of those situations where like these movies may be affectionate to the person who wrote them but in general are not going to be received that way because people do be crazy yeah speaking of rita fisher gives it three stars and titles the review a bummer and the review reads teenagers mightily i did not <laughs> yeah this is pretty straightforward teenagers mightily i did not <laughs> yep two exclamation points at the end there i would love to figure out what that is actually saying i have no goddamn idea uh <clears throat> btr gives it three stars and titles the review teenage murder porn meets fault in our stars and it reads <laughs> <laughs> You genuinely don't need to say more than that. Oh, but I want to. (laughs) Watching this, I realized how old I have become. If you are in your late teens or a 20-something, stop reading this and go see this movie. I'm sure you will love it. It's basically teenage murder porn meets The Fault in Our Stars. Daniel Radcliffe has many scenes with his shirt off, (laughs) and you can admire his little hairy otter body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a, okay i want to i do want to talk about how fucking lush his neck beard is <laughs> compared to literally the rest of him <laughs> because he's got such a robust <laughs> neck beard his, and then the rest of his body is not similarly hairy his his body hair is perplexing yes <clears throat> J.R.O. gives it four stars and titles the review Excellent Movie. And it reads, Excellent movie, but I wish they had the DVD cheaper than the Blu-ray, because Blu-ray is a pain in the ass to use on my PlayStation. Shouldn't the new technology be the more expensive one? That does not bode well for Blu-ray. Can you guess which year this review was written in? Uh, I'm going to say 2015? 2017. Uh... Emerging new technology Blu-rays in 2017. I I know 2017 was a long time ago. I'm gonna... It's like, what, six years ago? <clears throat> uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. And maybe I'm misremembering. I'm pretty sure... But I'm pretty sure that um, digital streaming platforms had already taken over at that point. Yeah. Yeah, Stranger Things started in 2016. (laughs) 
There's no fucking way this person is like, doesn't doesn't book well for Blu-ray. Because it's more expensive than DVDs. Boy, gosh, howdy. I sure wonder what's going to happen to that dang HD DVD. Oh, God. Um, You know, I'm... Big fan of Betamax, but I haven't been able to get the latest movies on it in a while. Not a good sign for Betamax. (laughs) I I have two more for us. Gavin McKinnon gives it five stars and titles the review, Not for the Faith of Taint. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Strong start. Uh, It reads, This movie gave me the Chilly Willies, Woody Woodpecker style. (laughs) First, Harry Potter lived with the fat family in England, but wait, then horns happen on his dumb old head, I guess. Then people told him devil stuff. If his horns were around me, I'd tell the horns about how confusing Harry Potter is in this movie. Also, I thought this movie was about a clone army of Lena Horns commanded by Daniel Potter. I was mistaken, but waiting for a ghost clone platoon to show up and start Cobb salading the place up was quite the entertaining experience, and I would highly recommend your own Lena Horn clone robots. They are useful as well as enchanting. <laughs> Cobb salading up the place is just the most delightful turn of phrase. Yeah. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know either, but I, I gotta start saying that. Uh, so that's our extremely poetic review for the episode. Um, and our last one is just a sweet little note I want to go out on. Amazon customer gives it five stars and titles the review. It's new one, I like it. And it reads... This is my third one. I bought two, got loaned out to family members, but this one ain't going nowhere. Thanks, I love this one, good and evil. Someone has bought this movie. (laughs) Three times. On physical media. Three times. Three times. (laughs) Thanks, I love this one, good and evil. That's one sentence. I... I'm still not... I mean, like, fuck, that's gotta be, like half of their fucking gross right there. <laughs> it doesn't give a budget figure, but it does give a box office figure of 3.9 million. I mean, I think that's mostly uh, a tremendous number of one-star reviews on Amazon complaining that they can't refund it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's incredible. <laughs> so- yeah, mm. good, good, clean fun. Uh, yeah. What was the? Th- do you want? Do you want one more bonus one? Good and evil. Good. I, thanks. All? I love this one. Good and evil. Okay, give me that. <coughs> give me the one more that you were gonna hit us with. All right, five we'll... star review by Laurie, titled "Go with the Flow," and it reads: I have seen Daniel in everything he has done, including all Broadway shows. Why? I believe he is just that good. Horns is different and does not send a message of good or evil, right or wrong. Just go with the flow. The graphs were excellent, but I must say there is a corny aspect to the whole movie. You could tell he so enjoyed doing this movie that I cannot fault him. Just go with the flow and do not think too much. Just go with the flow and don't think too much. Yep. 
Thanks for listening. I I sure didn't. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Satan didn't either. Absolutely not. Bye. Bye. Unsound Theories is a production of So Says Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Unsound Theories or follow Kat and Kira at Zafticat, Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and at Sapphire underscore mess, respectively. The best way to support the work we do is to tell a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. If you'd like to support our work monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash sosismedia. There you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, Patreon-exclusive episodes, and so much more. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel. You can find this and Chris's other work at soundslikeanearful.com. Until next time, stay wizard.